This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. What's up, Chicago? I'm Erin Allen, and this is The Rundown. Chicago made history earlier this year by electing its first police district council members. There are 22 police district councils, each with roughly three members, which means there are 65 folks in office right now. So who are these people and what are their plans? Well, that varies. There are 10 people that are endorsed by the main police union for Chicago officers. Um, others have different, very close ties to the police department. And then on the other poll, you have people who identify as police and prison abolitionists. Uh, then in the middle, uh, you know, you have about 40 people who are reform-minded. They, they'd like to see reform to the police. This is Chip Mitchell. He's a criminal justice reporter at WBEZ, and he's been following the councils closely these past few months. I sat down with Chip to get a sense of how things are going so far. The whole country is kind of watching Chicago right now. I mean, there aren't any other big cities engaging residents in police oversight like this. Public meetings are happening and we can all go and give our input. But for some of these council members, getting people to actually show up and feel comfortable enough to share their input is no small feat. Their main job, and, and this is spelled out in the ordinance, it's to provide a forum for city residents to raise concerns about policing in their district and help address them. But Aaron, um, there's no instruction manual in the ordinance or anywhere else. And there's no playbook. Um, the agency that provides a little bit of staffing for all of these district councils, they're just getting off the ground right now. And there's just a handful of people there that are focused on this. The outreach in all these places can vary. Um, on the on the west side and near northwest side where I've been um, mm. watching some of these councils, I've seen door-to-door work um, to get people out to the meetings. I've seen chili served at two different events um, <laughs> as a way to get people to turn turnout. I was at a meeting just a couple weeks ago in Austin. That's a, a busy west side district. There were just 10 residents there, not counting the district counselors themselves and a few cops. Um, and then the ones who show up, they may, um, they may have complaints about particular crimes. Like some people may show up, they're a homeowner and they've had their catalytic converter stolen. They're welcome. And I think police district councils want to do something and want to engage with them and want to get solutions to their problems. But it, the challenge is getting people to think um, more broadly about how these councils um, could provide a, a police oversight on the micro level, as in on the district level. Mm -hmm. So there's a citywide committee that's nominating permanent members of the Community Commission for Public Safety and Accountability. CCPSA. First of all, can you remind me, what is CCPSA? Well, it's, it's the Community Commission for Public Safety and Accountability. And this was really the, uh, this, the ordinance that set up this citywide commission and then the 22 police district councils. It was the, the, the last leg of all of the reforms that took place in the wake of the, uh, the scandal of the police um, shooting to death 16 times, a teenager Laquan McDonald, um, and all the changes that happened once that video came out. Oh, it's been a long time now, um, November of 2015. 
And so it took forever. It took years for this um, this legislation to be negotiated and hammered out. Um, the Lightfoot administration um, uh, finally negotiated with um, uh, this community coalition that set up this CCPSA. The only formal power that the district councils have is to um, actually nominate the commissioners. Now, th this sounds like it sounds heavily bureaucratic, but um, <laughs> it's kind of important to follow because it's really everything else that the police district councils at the, the local level of patrol districts can do is is informal, and they can't direct the local commander to do anything. But one thing they can do is they can search for and nominate the members of the citywide commission that does have um, significant powers in our police oversight system, Aaron. Okay. What are the district councils who have members that are close to CPD? What are they talking about? What I'm what I'm hearing is that a lot of it is about getting police officers resources that they need, including mental health resources. And mm. there's also a focus, Aaron, on making sure these districts have what they call beat integrity, which means keeping cops and squad cars on their assigned territory, their beats, instead of getting pulled to crime hotspots or special events in another part of the city. Mm. And what about the police abolitionists, the other side of the coin? Yeah, there are abolitionists sometimes serving on their uh, alone in a district, or some. You know, there's a there's a few where they have either a majority or they they're the whole district, all three members. Um, they are, of course, they're av advocating non-police approaches to public safety. So stuff ranging from restorative justice to these new city units that are trained to respond to mental health and substance abuse calls with a limited police role or uh, in a couple uh, a couple of these teams have no cops at all. Um, I've asked uh, um, some of these abolitionists what they hope to accomplish on the police district councils. Like this is a essentially a reformist activity. It's 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 a part of government that is trying to reform policing, not replace it. Yeah. So here's what I heard from Saul Arellano. He's on the council for the Grand Central District on the northwest side. We understand that right now in the world that we are, it is really driven to believing that police is the only system to prevent crime. But policing is not the only alternative, right? And policing, as we have seen, and it has been proven, it's not even here to prevent violence. And so what we're trying to offer is also another way where we can prevent violence and where we can look at different systems, right? Whether we get to abolish the police right now or in 10, 20 years, right? Abolition for us means something for the future, right? But it's slowly planting the seeds of making sure that we're creating systems of care. You also talked to Carmelita Earls at length. She's the district council member in Austin, and she's a retired firefighter who worked alongside CPD officers for 31 years in that job. Can you tell me about her? Yeah, so it, she's she interested me because because she's um, she was endorsed by the police union, and but but from the very beginning she she was talking a lot about police accountability. So you know, frankly, I I, I wasn't sure if I. I, if I believed everything she was saying, she held one of the top ranks in the fire mm -hmm. department. She worked closely with cops for her whole 31 years, but she had an experience in her front yard 12 years ago that she says affected her view and that still drives her right now, uh, it got her into running for police district council, and she still keeps it in mind as she's doing the work now. 
It was an incident where a couple of young people were selling something. It quickly devolved into this shoving match. Her husband calls the police. She ends up getting arrested for battery and theft. They take her, the cops do, take her down to the Austin District Police Station in handcuffs. And then somebody recognizes her there, and this police officer asks her, well, why didn't you just identify yourself as a, you know, a, a firefighter or a, a fire official? And you know, her response was, or this is at least how she recalls it now, why should I have to identify myself just to be treated with respect? They admitted to her at the police station that she would have been treated differently if she had just announced that she was a fire official. In other words, if she had exercised the clout that she has. And so that really that really stuck with her and it led her to run for police district council. And she says it's still kind of like a North Star for she keeps it in mind as she does the work. Mm hmm. This makes me think a lot about the trust gap between police and residents that you've talked about in your reporting. Can you get into that a little bit? Well, Carmelita Earls, um, she told me another story. Um, The day after she chaired a district council meeting, she bumped into a woman who had attended the meeting. She said she had something to report, but she didn't want to say it in front of the officers. And I asked her, why not? She says, because when we go back home, When we call on these people, they know who called because they say the police tell them. So that put something on our mind. We had a Zoom call this morning, the three counselors, and we talked about how do we create a safe space for people to come and be able to express public safety. She told me that that Zoom call led to a plan. The council from now on is going to dismiss the officers toward the end of each meeting and she says it'll create that safer space for residents to air out their concerns and come up with ideas for more effective policing. This is the sort of thing district, it may sound simple, but this is the thing type of stuff that they're trying to work out right now across the city. They're grappling with th- th- these sorts of processes. Yeah. So outside of Chicago, are there any other cities with similar models like this hyper-local community oversight? Well, I, I was wondering just that, um, you know, maybe they they, they could get some tips or some pointers for how to get these councils going. Um, I spoke with a few experts about it, and really there doesn't seem to be anything else like this. Um, No models. Here's attorney Carlton T. Mayers II. He's a police oversight consultant for various U.S. cities. Such a localized approach to civilian oversight that's unique to Chicago, especially because they're elected, and it's definitely being watched by other civilian oversight authorities around the country to see if there's a way that they can possibly replicate this model. Okay, so there are people watching Chicago to see how we're doing and if they can do it too. Yeah, yeah. What are you watching, Chip? Well, uh, a few things. I'm, I'm really interested in the turnout at these monthly meetings that most of the district councils can have. Can they get more people involved? Can they get more young people involved? And if younger folks are not coming to these meetings, what other ways can they be engaged? How, how can they be reached? Um, is it possibly through some sort of polling, uh, surveying or social media? Like what can be done to reach young people who are arguably most affected by the policing uh, that's going on in many neighborhoods? Um, and then what sorts of feedback and requests are the district councils giving to the bosses of these patrol districts, starting with the commander? 
Um, what, if anything, do these local police leaders do with the information? Are there any new strategies? So again, the police district councils can't compel any action, but they, they have a bully pulpit. They're actually elected officials, so they have a lot of uh, credibility and legitimacy to um, make requests, to make suggestions, to engage, to, to have the make sure the police sit down with them. Ultimately, Aaron, I think um, this will be hard to measure, but the important thing, is there a sense that there is more police accountability and responsiveness at the district level? And does that increase public safety? Of course, that's the big question. So, for example, do any districts veer away from Chicago's traffic stop strategy, which is mainly intended to rake in illegal guns? It does rake mm -hmm. in a lot of illegal guns, but uh, a lot of young black men think have the impression and this is backed by data that they're getting picked on you know driving while black and mm -hmm. it's and it's weighs on them most heavily so um that's one big question do any cops are, are more cops willing to get out of their cars and patrol on foot get to know the communities that they're in so so they're they feel less they feel less like an occupational mm. army and they're perceived less like an occupational army that's another foot patrols is something that comes up a, in a lot of different districts are there better relationships more trust between police officers and community members so that the cops can get more help solving crimes what happens with crime rates like uh, this is i guess the ultimate thing what happens with some of these severe crimes like shootings um and then there are crimes that aren't so severe, but that are getting a lot of attention and that are really weighing people down, all these robberies that are taking place. Um, do, do these numbers eventually start improving? So mm -hmm. those, are, those are all things we'll be watching. Chip Mitchell is a criminal justice reporter here at WBEZ. Chip, thank you. My pleasure. Chip Mitchell gets a little bit more into this in his own story. You can find that at WBEZ.org. And that's it for today. Thank you to Justin Bull and Sarah Stark for producing The Rundown and to Ariel Van Clee for editing the show. Our theme music is by Louis Weeks. The Rundown is produced by WBEZ Chicago and is a part of the NPR Network. And we love hearing from you. Email us your thoughts, questions, and what you want to hear at therundownpod at wbez.org. I'm Erin Allen. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you later. 